Hey everyone, welcome to Tales of Recovery. This is Gris Alves, your host. And today I have a super amazing guest. Her name is Leanne Tibiatowski. And I heard about her through my dear friend Golden Drake, who participated in a surf program, uh, surf recovery program for trauma out here in San Diego, the beautiful beaches in San Diego. And so Leanne is here to tell us her story of overcoming um, her trauma, but very importantly, the how of how she did it. So thank you so much for being here, Leanne. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor to share space with you. Yeah. So I'll just give you, I mean, Tales of Recovery is like, it's your it's your podcast now. You tell us everything, how it started, what you want to share, the specifics of what's in your heart. Um, because I know that part of what you're trying to do is help others heal and give them the you know experience, strength, and hope to get to the other side of whatever pain they're in. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Um, I realized in the last few days that this environment that we're living in with a pandemic and upheaval in our society has been getting to me. Mm. I know that it's getting to most of us. And because of that, it heightens my desire to talk about trauma. It's not necessarily a fun conversation. Right. It feels so very important right now to really get real about what trauma is and to normalize trauma as a human experience. I'm gonna share some of my story and my story is colorful. I, and trauma is not something to compare. Like, so I wanna invite anyone that listens to you know, just really recognize that as I tell my story, uh, perhaps it will point to places within them or remind them of somebody that they know, behaviors or um, things that you've heard or felt, someone navigating in life that could actually be trauma. And trauma is, uh, it just is. It's normal. You know? <laughs> and having the opportunity to speak to it is, is valuable because together we are stronger we just are and um, so this morning knowing that I was going to come here I went out into the ocean the ocean is my medicine the ocean and surfing is truly my medicine and has been my medicine in uh, trauma recovery and I'll talk about that shortly while I was in the water, I asked for guidance about, uh, you know, what to talk about here. And as I floated in the water, uh, I just kept being guided to the sentence, in the quiet of the now. <laughs> in the quiet of the now. So, it, I had a morning of adventure to get here, and probably everybody that is dialing in has had, you know, you're changing channels, listening to different things. I just want to invite myself and us to just take a moment to be in the, in the now. And that can be in the form of a breath. For me, it's in the form of a breath. Sometimes when we talk about the now, we think of some place that's like nirvana. You know, it has to be some zen-like epiphany but really the now is just the now right. and it might include tension in the body it might include swirling thoughts it might include sensations uh, stress and so increasing comfortability in the now whatever it is is kind of a mission when it comes to trauma recovery for me traumas that happen, extreme events in life, uh, engage 
our brains to act in ways that protect us. Could you give us a quick definition of trauma or, or like your own explanation? I can tell you my explanation okay. of trauma. Um, a trauma would be the result of an experience, an incident, an experience that happens to a person that is a little bit too much for the brain to know how to sort. Mm-hmm. We sort memories and all the input that we take in all the time, constantly. Good, bad, funny, cute, fat, mm-hmm. smelly, like whatever input we're taking in. Um, and our brain just automatically sorts it. We don't even think twice about that. Sometimes something will happen that is incomprehensible or jarring or painful, and our brains don't know what to do with it. It can be the trauma of getting an F on a test, for example. Um, That can be traumatic. It might not create a traumatic response that is difficult to let go of. It takes a minute. There's lots of feelings and sensations, and we get over it. Mm-hmm. Our brain files that memory. We remember it's part of our story. Uh, then there's some things that happen, uh, like being a participant in a war or being a first responder, repeatedly being uh, subjected to seeing very raw situations. Being a survivor of sexual assault is another um, trauma that can be incredibly difficult for the brain to know what to do with. Right. Yeah. So the brain, so it kind of freezes in there. I could go on and on about what the results are of that, but I, does yeah. that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just yeah. wanted like our listeners to kind of get an idea of trauma is a little too much, too soon, or too fast for the body, and then you don't really know how to process it. Yeah, it's subcon. It's not something we think, oh, do I know how to process this? It's literally how we take this input in, in constantly. Every time looking mm-hmm. at you, I can see the room, I can, I can hear sounds, like we're constantly deciphering what's going on in our environment. Right. When there's something that's going in our environment that creates a sense of not being safe, of being injured, of being threatened, mm-hmm. this is where we start getting into the realm of trauma. Okay. We collectively are having a global trauma right now. Yeah, man. Yeah, and um, and that's why it's really important to me to continue to, to speak up. Right. Because we have had this global trauma that is taking us to the need to figure out how to navigate basics or threats to our survival. Things taken away, taken away, taken away. Fear, fear, fear. Fear, fear, fear. Messages, messages, messages. And trying to decipher that, it's relentless. It keeps going and going and going. And it's now not just a sprint of this threat, of this um, confusion. It's like a marathon. It's cumulative, mm-hmm. cumulatively impacting people. Yeah, for sure. So tell us how you, um, like when you began to check in out in this trauma or what, I know that you had, you, I, I, I saw your interview on the Today Show and you start by talking about how this was, this trauma was, or you began the, to seek help for this trauma when you had a, a, a surgery, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna talk about that right now and I wanna go back even a little bit further okay. to how I figured it out because I think that it might help people in a different way. Okay. So on October 4th of 2016, I went in for an elective surgery mm-hmm. just to be more comfortable in my body. I was going to have a few fibroids removed um, just for comfort, completely elective. My uh, surgeon assured me uh, after reviewing everything that um, that's all that was going to have to happen. We did talk about if a hysterectomy, if she thought that would need to happen, and she's like, boom, 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 little, no problem, you'll be good, one week recovery, more comfort. I went in, I woke up, and I learned that I had a hysterectomy for a non-life-threatening condition. 
mm-hmm. that I did not authorize. And that ignited delayed onset complicated post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. I did not know this at that time. Something was taken away from me without my consent. And I had to keep going. I was just living life. Like I, I, it would take me a whole year to figure out that I needed help. And that's gnarly. I mean, that's that's a long time yeah. to be living living with an acute PTSD PTSD situation. So the surgery was traumatic. Something was taken, a body part, I was like something was amputated from me without my consent. Was Not this only, done by the same doctor that said that she wouldn't yes. do it? And yes. she went ahead and did it anyway? She did. Hmm. That's a whole story I could get into about the whys and the hows and the fine details, but I'm not going to do that in okay. our conversation because yeah. I don't think that will be as helpful as to talk about how I knew right. that help would be beneficial or how I recognized that, you know, something is, some, not I, I right. don't think this is my feelings. I, I Something's not right. So after that surgery, I was aware that something had been taken away from me without my consent. But I was trying to figure out what happened to my body. Because hormones are affected, um, the invasion of a surgery, my body was responding to that. And so I was just trying to figure out what the heck was, you know, what's going on here. What I didn't say yet is that this, the trauma of the surgery compounded or opened up a trauma that happened when I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. When I was 15 years old, I was raped by several of my classmates mm-hmm. and I told nobody, not one person for a decade. And that is why it's complicated post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, together, they created their individual traumas, but one compounded the other. And, um, you know, I didn't even know delayed onset PTSD was a thing. Right. It would take me a whole year to even acknowledge that it was valid to be so distraught, so deeply affected decades later. This is decades later. I was 15. Um, I'm in my 50s now. So this is a lot of life to have lived not uh, getting help, not being able to integrate that original trauma. So... I walk through life basically in a cage. Presence. I, I, I've studied meditation. I've done deep healing. I've, I've, been, I've helped people as uh, you know, a spiritual counselor. I've been in the healing arts forever. I worked with, um, I worked in trauma. I worked in a nonprofit as a program director for um, at the Jenna Drug Center, which had a program that helped families who had lost a child. I was the referral source. Like people would call me to help them navigate through trauma. You know, I didn't know at that time I hadn't like that I had the capacity for this type of extreme going to the deep end of trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, the surgeon threw me into the deep end. But it was unfolding prior to that slowly in its own time. When I was 15, I made it through high school. I don't know how. I mean, I went from being an ASB student to, uh, you know, a really disruptive, angry, non-compliant, 
you know, punk rock chick. It was yeah. the 80s. I got into punk rock. Well, I wasn't really necessarily perhaps a punk, a punk, you know, mm -hmm. I was hurting. Yeah. So I got through that. I made my way through college. I had a son and it probably was not until my son started to reach the age of the young men that assaulted me that things really started to bubble up yeah. for me. I can see now from with this vantage point that I have that I was always, my brain was always attempting to stay 10 steps ahead of the trauma, of facing mm. it. You know, we live in a society that wants us to get over it. Avoid. Press through, yeah. get over it. Get over it is fundamentally flawed in just those words. You know, people will say that to others as a, a cheer to for strength, you know. You've got this. Get over it. You know, it's time to move on or, you know, whatever the saying is. When in fact, that is actually quite harmful. Mm -hmm. We impose that on ourselves because it's a norm yeah. to just, you know, okay, that happened. I'm resilient. Boom, let's go. So They're, harmful. Right? I, mean, I, I can just hear my aunt right now. Just, just get over it. Just, or a friend, build a bridge. Get over it. She thought it was the funniest thing. I'm like, well... But that's kind of like jumping over the process and it's kind of avoiding the hurt and the shadow work. And, you know, like you don't, you get over it and what? Then you're dishing out your pain on everybody else, on you as well. So, yeah, I don't, people don't get over it, okay? Go do the work. <laughs> <laughs> I say yes to that because if you know you have something that's hurting your heart, yeah. why Listen. not? bravely take a look versus having the universe or a surgeon plunge you into having to look in order to survive because I was pushed to the brink of my edge and I've done some deep work I've done some very deep work over the years but nothing like that mm -hmm. to be plunged into the belly of trauma. So how were you plunged into it? Like what was, were you like super depressed or drinking a lot or like what was going on? Yeah, life got, that's a good question, you know? And mm -hmm. I'm like been, today I've been kind of sinking back to just kind of reflect on what that was. And really it was how I lived my whole life, which is why it doesn't seem so different when I describe it to myself, mm -hmm. because that's how it was my whole life. But really, just being in each day with an amplified sense of something bad's going to happen. Mm. Threats are around me. So I'm on hypervigilance to identify what the threats might be. Now, over the course of my lifetime, that tendency served me. I did a lot of project management, a lot of event work, a lot of, um, you know, helping people who were traumatized. I could, because I'm hypervigilant, identify what might go wrong. When you have a big, huge event, that's an asset. When you're in charge of a big project and you can, like, hone in on what could potentially is a threat, people like that. That's a good person to have on your team. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was leveraging my trauma to survive and provide for myself and my son. Wow. So here I am, fast forward to, you know, this surgery that blew Pandora's box open. Like my brain, my brain's mission is to protect me. Yeah. Um, I didn't want it to be my brain. My brain's mission, but something bad happened that was overwhelming and incomprehensible for my 15-year-old body and mind to understand. Um, so it, my brain, really took on this grappling mission of attempting to protect me from feeling pain like that again. And it would grow roots. Mm -hmm. This, Not only would I have this increased fight, flight, and freeze response, which I didn't really understand I had until over these last few years, but I've had it my whole life. 
not only did I have those things, fight, flight, freeze. It's kind of like living life, going through one of those police shooting, simulating hmm. training where something's going to pop up and you have to decide real quick, is it a good guy or a bad guy? That's... Always on hypermobile. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, oh. Very tiring. I didn't really realize that until yeah. recently how tiring that is. In addition to that, because I did not receive help to integrate what happened to me, it grew, grew roots in the form of how I perceived myself and the world around me. So the world around me, not safe. Something bad's going yeah. to happen. Perceiving myself, Because that happened to me, I was not seen. There was a group of boys that did not see me. Mm -hmm. They just did what they wanted to do. My 15-year-old adolescent brain began to attempt to make meaning of that. I must not be worth seeing. Mm. I'm not beautiful. In fact, I'm not just not beautiful. I... I am disgusting in some ways at this point now. And I would begin to, over this, the course of these de decades, get such a distorted body image that I could not even look at parts of my body, mm -hmm. like my, my belly, you know? I just, uh, getting ready to go someplace any place and having high anxiety. Didn't know I had anxiety. I just thought it was, I'm nervous. Mm -hmm. I want to look good, but I'm revolted. Like I have these feelings of revulsion towards mm -hmm. myself, um, displaced from what could have been anger towards somebody for treating me wrong. Mm -hmm. It got morphed into feeling like subconsciously I deserve this. Yeah. And that I am just a piece of meat. I am just a body. Um, so I would be working most of my life to be seen, to be seen as valuable. Yet when I'm seen, there's an edge to that of the fight, flight, or freeze response to turn on of feeling exposed. Certain situations will ignite that bubble of trauma response. And it's literally like dropping into a bubble for me. I feel my body temperature change. I feel uh, things slow down around me. And it's almost like if you imagine being an animal who is just laser focused on what the next step is to survive. Yeah. And not really far from present. Right. As we talk about that present moment message that the ocean gave me. I have more awareness now in my recovery of how much of my life I would drop into that, almost like you picture someone hunting or being hunted. And the crosshair, you know, like on a movie, just like this crosshair in front of you, and, and there you are. what's the next step? What's the next step do I need to take to survive? So. So intense to live like that. I didn't even know. Yeah. That's the crazy part. People don't necessarily know. Yeah. I think it's normal. I'm just weird. I mean, give me a pill. I have anxiety. Or give me another drink or let's, you know, go talk oh. shit about people. <laughs> the, so if we go back to right after the surgery. So I, months will go by and I'm looking for a job. I get a job. And then at that same time, so the surgery is in August. I'm going to start a job in January 4th. In December, the second week, I lose a relationship. My like live-in partner at the time, he and I broke up. And so that was like just this other, you know, it was just all this turbulence, yeah. all this turbulence. And that, so I dive into this job. The job is like my addiction, has been most of my life. I've lost myself mm. in my work, no boundaries. Um, and if mm. I work so hard, it's so noble, it looks so no noble, I also don't have to feel myself. Yeah. 
And so I get into this job and I do that for seven months about and not still having all of those hyper vigilant I'm super something bad's gonna happen I to the extent that I'm I feel afraid taking a shower that something's going to get me somebody's going to come in and get me walking on the street especially at sunset or in the dark heightened fear that was not normal for me horns honking jumping out of my skin it was so mm. hard to find help. I was a refer for referral source. I would refer mm. people to trauma resources in the community. And, you know, I was more devastated in that time with what it took to actually navigate the system to get help to call one department to get transferred to another department to get oh, transferred to another department and still not get help. I could barely pick myself up. You know, I was all of those things that you would think of when you think about PTSD, depression, anxiety. Um, I need help. Exhausting. Like for me to call, like I'm pretty much a warrior. If I ask for help, I really needed it yesterday or maybe like mm -hmm. a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, I had, and at this point, I have, I'm not working, so I have Medi-Cal, and I'm calling and calling, trying to get mental health support, because at this, at, when this work is coming to a close at seven months, I realize, holy shit, I, I am not okay. I'm not okay. The amount of grief that I'm feeling, there's not even anything to be grieving about right now. Like, I couldn't figure it out. It was brutal. I called the crisis and access line, I think three times over the course of trying to get help. There is one resource in San Diego um, that helped me significantly. Just be like earlier in my life when I read this memory was starting to come up a little bit more um, and then they would be my first place that I would get help. And they're, they are called the Center for Community Solutions in San Diego. Okay. They help uh, people who have had uh, a sexual assault or they're in a domestic violence situation. Fabulous nonprofit organization. Um, and I would end up going through a 10-week one-on-one therapy with session with them. And I was so grateful. I did not think that I needed one-on-one -on -one therapy. I was still thinking I was okay. I just didn't understand what was happening to me. Um, and then I would, after that 10 weeks, you know, then I would be, okay, I don't, you know. Now what? Now what? And so I'm trying to find, they, I give, they give you a referral sheet and go get continued help. We recommend ongoing. And, and that was where it got really brutal trying to figure out how to get help. And ultimately I would align with uh, a therapist who I still see and I have received uh, EMDR trauma therapy mm -hmm. since then almost on a weekly basis um, has it been how many years since you uh, started seeing her two years two that years. I've been doing that and uh, again I would say underscore if there's a trauma in your life if you feel unsettled, if there's something, if there's something that your your mind avoids, pictures you won't look at. Like I wouldn't look pic at pictures of my childhood. I didn't understand mm -hmm. why I was so having such a visceral visceral response. Mm -hmm. Do you have any signs like that? Look, because the longer you wait, the more work it is to unwind the trauma. And you're missing out. You're missing out on freedom. Out. Can you tell us what does EMDR stand for? <laughs> I, you would think I would know. It's, it's eye mobilization, desensitization, I think reprogramming. Okay. <laughs> we'll look it up. But I, I, I mean, I, I have that. a friend that yeah. does that. I think I've probably taken one of those therapies myself. Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Yeah. And reprocessing, not okay. reprogramming. Yeah. So basically, what that therapy does, and it's powerful, it's no joke. Like, if you're ready to get. Some real help. 
and you are committed. It's not like a onesie, twosie kind of thing, especially the longer the trauma it is that you're dealing with. If you have an acute trauma, you can off, often uh, use EMDR to help your brain reframe that memory mm -hmm. to be able to sort it so it's not influencing, it's not having you on that heightened Hijacking your life. Yeah, hijacking your life is a perfect way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, but it literally does that it help and you go into the epicenter it's not it's not pleasant it's not pleasant i had heard of and referred to emdr therapists practitioners when i was working in bereavement didn't really understand what it was but when i was searching for my therapist i knew that i wanted somebody that did emdr because i didn't want to just talk about it yeah. you can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and you might not still be able to sort that memory. EMDR is evidence-based. There is extensive evidence that it works, particularly with veterans, first responders, and survivors of sexual assault. I think the biggest body of research is with the veterans. How does it work? Do you sit there and then you remember the what happened and they're telling, like, how does it work? I can tell you. Okay. Um, one thing, people going to get, like, EMDR, as I did, real eager to start the therapy. And the therapy involves, like, part of this process involves a light bar. So it's like a long rectangle, probably three feet long, and it's got a series of little lights. Mm-hmm horizontally in front of you and they light sequentially from one side to the other. So it has something to do with, you know, you follow it with your eyes back and forth and that has something to do with like, um, I actually am not a practitioner so I'm not going to say what it does to your brain actually, but this is what you will encounter if you go in. Okay. Um, an important thing to remember is that preparing for going in, using the light bar, takes some time okay you don't just go in and yank out the light bar and dive in some might but we're talking of literally to me EMDR is like the surgical process of reframing a memory okay and that's no joke like it's you're going in and so it would take multiple sessions three to four sessions of assessment of the level of where you're at in terms of anxiety um, and different trauma responses and also um, setting up uh, like a safe word or a safe phrase mine was find the aloha because I'm going to be going into the epicenter of my trauma yeah. we're going to be talking about the epicenter of that over and over and over again um, I I got my my go to that was I wasn't just going to be talking about it in a support group living in that trauma epicenter forever I was going in and I was going to have measurable reframing going on so that allowed me to feel like it was worth it mm -hmm. to go in um, and it sort of didn't get it got worse before it got better yeah. because I'm now now I've recognized I have trauma I'm getting help and through all of the inventory she does at the beginning it's very clear that we need to go all the way back to 15 not just to the surgery I yeah. have two this complicated PTSD because I have multiple traumas right. but the epicenter of it is back when I'm 15 so I think I'm going in for this surgery thing and we're going all the way back and it's brave work. Oh yeah, I it's courageous work, and it's liberating. It's effing liberating. Uh, I have uh, started a website to share my story, and when it's intoclarity.com, in the number two clarity.com, and that's really what this is about to me, almost like a kaleidoscope, like mm. clicking to see truth, true me. All, the, all of it is true me. All of those distortions have been part of me, but I'm now deep enough in the healing that I see me. Mm. 
kind of for the first time ever. I remember the day in therapy, my therapy, my therapist said, it's like your birthday. Happy birthday. You're back. Yeah. So it was like cracking off this big cocoon mm. um, that I was caged in and didn't realize it. That robbed me of a sense of peace. That robbed me of the ability to be intimate the way that I would like to be intimate. For like most of my life. How did you know that it was your birthday? Like this DMDR, is it a little bit like um, like a somatic experience, like feeling things in your body, or is it more of just like a brain reprogramming? When you, there's a quick assessment, like kind of what's going on when I go in to see my therapist. Um, and we talk about like how, it, inevitably, whatever is up in my life in the moment um, and the, the sensations that I'm having that are disturbing, I can see a parallel to mm. the rape. Mm -hmm. Not being seen has um, been a big one for me. Mm. And then feeling incredibly exposed and um, not worthy and not feeling like I fit in or belong. In inherently, I don't belong. I don't mm. feel like I belong. I don't fit in I, I and that's changing by the way I'm grateful to say that by doing the work there is a way out and it might not be EMDR for everybody and and it might not require EMDR depending on what happens in somebody's yeah. life but, but that's the, what's helped you yeah, yeah and so the tagline in this website that I was determined to start by the one year anniversary of my surgery because I was like, damn it, this is going to have meaning. Yeah. If someone else is going to blow the front door off my life and this is what I, and I'm going to go through a horror film of a reality, then I'm going to share what I learned. And so what came to me was... Thank you for doing that, by the way, because it's you know, helping so many other people. Dude. It's my hope. If it's even helps one person, it's worth it to be authentic yeah. and put it all on the table. Yeah. So face yourself, find your freedom is mm. how I encapsulate what I think this is all That's about. So cool. Face yourself. Find your freedom. Find your freedom. Let's yeah. go. Yes. Girl, it is so powerful to have glimpses of that freedom while attempting to relieve myself of this explosion of all the feelings you wouldn't have to, like you, that all the feelings that my brain was trying to protect me from yeah. are up. So EMDR and surf therapy are the two things that have been instrumental in my How did you get to the surf therapy? Like, how did you find out about that? I was walk I've been a, be a lover of the beach for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. And um, I live in Ocean Beach, San Diego, and I walk my dog, Shaka, at the beach a couple times a day. And I uh, saw my amazing friend, Rebecca Shulman, sitting in a circle on the beach, a bunch of foamy boards, flowers in the center. <laughs> I I've been doing women's circles for like 18, 19, maybe. 20 years now and so I totally vibed with me and I was like I had earlier in the year said I want I had this motto like as I was trying to survive this hell it was like if not now when so I had previous to seeing her decided that I wanted to ride a board my son surfs my friend surfs my ex made surfboards like all of my life I have been around people who surfed and I kind of was on the water's edge. I wanted to step back in. So when I saw her, I asked her what she was up to later and I got chills. It just was like a light went through my- For me, like, for me, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it is a Groundswell Community Project is a nonprofit that's, that uses surfing and building a, a relationship with Mother Ocean as mm. a way for women to, to heal trauma so as we build a relationship with mother ocean we're actually being reflected the opportunity to build a relationship with our true selves 
That's to so allow beautiful. ourselves to be held in the ocean. It was... And it takes courage to get out in the ocean. I mean, it's beautiful. I'm sure you're used to it, but it's... I always see the surfers as very brave people. Adventure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's no joke. It's straight up no joke. Um, I surf to survive. Yeah. I surf, and I'm working on trying to transition into a lighter relationship with surfing, but surf because <laughs> like the surfboard... And myself and the waves, this was my battleground to reclaim me. And every wave is like the repetition of a mini trauma. So it's like at the beginning, I had all threat signals up just being on the sand, just being at the beach. Uh, The young men that assaulted me surfed. I mean, they were like cool. Mm. Like, so I had all kinds of associations on fire at the beach. And it's been an incredible trek. It's been like my Mount Everest to one wave at a time. Just be. Just be in the present moment. Mm-hmm. If that means that I feel scared to death that, that something horrible is going to happen to me with this wave, I'm going to mostly, I, I don't belong, I'm going to be in the way, I'm in the way, I don't belong, oh my god, this wetsuit, like all this stuff swirling, 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 swirling. And then the wave, whether it topples me over or I get a ride, is incredibly exhilarating and liberating. It shows me over and over with these mini traumas that I'm okay. I'm okay. I've been able to see how my brain, in trying to protect me, had amplified my responses in ways that were often not appropriate to what was happening around me. Right. Over and over I could see this, like, because the sensations would be daunting, attempting to figure out how to wield this, like, javelin of foam and fiberglass <laughs> and, you know, uh, feel like I could celebrate and like I belonged. Yeah. And, um, how long have you been doing this trip therapy for? Two years. Two years. I volunteer now. I volunteer now. Like, I'm not in a receiving therapeutic treatment. I support others going through the program, cool. and my surf therapy is, is between me, my beautiful surfboard, and Mama Ocean. Mama Ocean. The mama. <laughs> Bendita sea. Yeah, that's so cool. So you're out there surfing like um, with Golden sometimes, right? <laughs> I uh, was happy to invite her last year to check it out, and she's like such a water woman you know she's got such a gorgeous reverence for mother ocean that has been inspiring to me so now we can go out together and and be in celebration of that and what the reality is is even without emdr even without surf therapy the ocean is truly healing and for those of us that have access to her during these difficult times it's a powerful thing to just let the ocean hold you be in the water or if you have a lake near you like water is so very healing to the stress the trauma the challenges that everyone carries yeah I never really I mean I I love the ocean the ocean is my medicine I go I put my feet in the water when it's freezing cold and when it's hot I get all the way in but thinking about how water is such a healing um, element I remember since I was very young, I would just like any kind of problem, any kind of issue, any kind. I would just go sit in the shower for hours. Mm. Like my mom would be, "Why do you do that?" I'm like, "The water, just leave me alone." It's like just the water pouring over me, or sitting. We know we didn't have a bathtub, but just sitting in the shower in the water was like. And now I get it. It's like, oh, my body was just like water. Let's go. But yeah, if you're in San Diego, if you're anywhere near the ocean. But I love what you're saying. Is it's accessible to everybody. We yeah. are comprised yeah. of so much water. Mm-hmm. Get a bucket of water, stick your feet yeah. in it. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're in Oklahoma. That's really great yeah. for calming the nervous system. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whatever tools that we have to find the present, to find the calmness. Yeah. And, you know... So in your um, in your website, intoclarity.com, which I will definitely write on here, 
on the um, podcast and when I post it on Instagram. But can people reach out to you there for help yes. or for resources? Okay. Absolutely. And it's kind of unfolding now. I've gone through enough healing that I am now evaluating how I want to help mm-hmm. um, to employ some of the work that I did with bereavement, only translating into trauma, perhaps uh, in the form of peer support groups via Zoom or some type of digital. I'm still figuring it out, but right now I'm absolutely available to answer questions. I don't have all the answers. I'm not a medical professional. And I also have a lot of information, personal experience, and able to kind of translate some of this trauma reality into what what is happening. And also to to share with others what what's helped you, you know, like normalize it. So yeah. many people have been sexually assaulted yeah. by their own freaking family. Yeah. It's just something that everybody's like, don't say anything, don't say anything. The shame. Let's just pretend. Let's hide it under the table. No. Um, so even you know, I always wonder when, people, and I always say, I used to say that a lot. Well, I'm not really licensed. I don't have this experience. You have your life experience. You went through this. You know how it feels yeah. in your body. You know the prison that you were in, and you know the prison that you're out of now. And that is like a PhD. So thank you, I mean, for offering this in your website, in your life. Face yourself, find your freedom, I mean. Totally. There's ways to navigate, like finding surf therapy allowed me to stay off of pharmaceutical medications. That was important to me. Rad. Because I had lived a lifetime in a fog and I was not interested in being in a fog to get through my healing. I didn't think it would be possible. I honor anyone who takes medications to, sometimes there's great mercy in taking medications. It was just my personal choice and, and it might've been a little bit harder making that choice, but surf therapy was the medicine instead of a yeah. pharmaceutical medication. And there's yeah. lots of other things, you know, um, if you are dealing with trauma or just the challenge of being in isolation or dealing with COVID, um, there's lots that we can do. Movement is critical. Walking, dancing, yoga. These are things that were critical for me before I found the EMDR. That passage before the therapist, Mm -hmm. I was at the gym. Almost obsessively, not because of any other reason except that I knew I would feel better afterwards. Yeah. It would be like ripping a cemented piece of something off of the ground to get my butt there. A lot of the times <laughs> I did not think I could get up and face the world, but I would go and that all the chemicals that would be released from yeah. that action of dance, strengthening, health, yoga, Breathing. Pet therapy, mm-hmm. spending time with animals, seeing the beautiful things around us, noticing that flower, noticing the clouds. It brings us to the present moment. It also is a way of just shifting where we're at in trauma. Yeah. And noti- noticing that this isolation, self-isolation, is um, it's not good for anybody which is why COVID has been so intensely traumatic for everyone because you're kind of forced into it. But just to everybody know out there that you're not alone. You can ask for help. You know, I'll put all these resources on here. Um, call a friend, call a buddy, look into clarity.com. <laughs> um, because this, this thought, this idea that I can't talk to anybody, I'm the worst, I'm this, I'm that, is a bunch of bullshit. It's a lie, you know? So... It's a lie that most have bought into. Yeah. That shame piece that you talked about. This picture of needing to be Superwoman or Superman. and It it is a lie, and it hurts us longer. Trauma stays longer. Pain stays Mm. longer. Confusion Mm. grows inside. It's interesting that you said how, like, your hypervigilance made you so successful at work. So I see a lot of us hustling 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 oh i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this and i am so successful and really you're just in this hyper vigilance mode trying to find sense of probably escaping from something beating yourself up about something or 
you know, thinking that this is how you're going to be enough. When in reality, it's just your, you know, your brain's being hijacked. And it's just not, it's taken me so long to be able to like, be okay with not hustling. Being calm in the moment. What's the next thing? There is no next thing. There's right here, right now. And that's homework because it takes a while to be like, wait, 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 no. It's okay. Just get in your body, you know. And so I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm honored that you're here. It takes so much work to be able to call and call and call and ask for help and then go through the process and then figure out like, oh, I'm sensing this liberation and then want to share about it. So everybody should check out your video on the Today Show. <laughs> I'll put the link on that as well. And then, you know, look into your webpage and... I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll go find you in Ocean Beach and do some surfing. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We'll get golden. Yeah. We'll have a, yeah. a girl surf A party. circle, for sure. The brothers are welcome, too, but, yeah. you know, it's fun with the women. Yeah. It brings us into the quiet of the now. So Back beautiful. Back to that message from the ocean today. Are that is love. Are we willing love. to be in the now, in that spacious spot you just described of letting go of that multitasking drive to be in a struggle and flurry, we do have an opportunity in this unusual time to slow down a little bit. Yeah. And to open to the simplicity and the power of love, you know? Because I think that's, to me, that's what presence is, is like sitting, I used to think like very, Structurally, like okay, the presence now, notice, be aware. But now I'm like, oh, it's so much softer. It's just a breath of love, and of really knowing that this is it. It's gonna end. We're gonna die. So you know, this is like gives it a different flavor of like amazement. Yeah. Which is reclaiming, reclaiming, reclaiming. the moment, letting yeah, go. Exactly. The best that we can at any given time of that swirl. Yeah, for sure. Seeing the beauty, seeing the beauty, being in gratitude, in gratitude, in gratitude. Yeah. So much for dedicating time for these kinds of conversations. Oh, this is my jam right here. (laughs) I love it. It's a good one. Yeah. So, any wise parting words that you want to leave us with before we close? say to you and anyone listening to seize the moment to claim your life to liberate yourself by facing yourself with support doesn't matter if you have a big trauma or a dramatic trauma no I'm just talking about the simple act of each day being willing to be where it's uncomfortable and balance that by seeing the beauty. I believe in you. (laughs) I believe in you too. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Leanne. Thank you. Thank you everyone for joining us today on Tales of Recovery. We'll see you next time.